Hi there, you're listening to Runelanders. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a couple of things. First, Runelanders contains adult content, about as much as your average late-evening premium cable series. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. If that sort of thing isn't your bag, well then, this probably isn't the podcast for you. If, however, that is your sort of thing, well then, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. We open this episode with our focus on Duke Gallaglass and the Warlock of Kearns. They pull into the dancing dog where it awaits their arrival in the precincts of winter so no need to set up a camp uh for the duke this time we'll just stay in the inn i suppose but i'll make sure that the uh the staff have everything that they need and that they're set up for the evening well the staff has been pressed has been ordered to move on straight through you and the duke will be spending a week at the dancing dog as it's a favorite of his but you won't be going to Tantalorn this time. You'll be pressing straight on through to Autumn. So the staff have been ordered to press on, make camp sparingly for themselves, and uh, have things set up as you expect to be. So we're at we're in the, at the inn. How's the uh, how's the Duke settling in there? He's got his uh, his pitchers, like his uh, his uh, snacks. How's, how's he doing? The music is rocking and everything is going on. It's more like a dead winter celebration in here than the coziness that is its typical want. All right. Well, I guess I will get myself uh, a little refreshment. I'm not going to cut loose or anything, but nice, nice little glass of sherry or a wine or something to take the chill off. And yeah, just relax as long as the Duke is relaxing. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yep. Been a pretty good deal, man. You know, like, good times here at the Duke. So you drink a glass of sherry and a couple of beers, and then band keeps cooking, and everything is all right. And by and by, you hear the call of nature. Well, she won't be ignored, or he won't be ignored. I don't know how you want to play the euphemism, but I will step outside to deal with it. And as you're draining the hose, roll initiative. Well, that's a 10 overall. Okay, so there is a a short mumble from behind you, a word of power, an autumnal word of power. And you just finish emptying your bladder as you... uh, drop and roll backwards before this blast of eldritch energy just smashes into the like the post you were leaning on to take a piss 
Oh, where's that blast coming from? Off in the trees. All right. Well, I think, yeah, why wait to get hit to turn invisible? I'm throwing up invisibility. All right. You snarl a word, and uh, as you stride across, like you, you start walking, right? Because standing where you are and being invisible, there's no point. They'll know exactly where you are. You can just shoot right where that invisible person was and probably get them. So you stride off as you fade from view with the uh, glitter of humidity on a freezing winter night. All right. And I'm heading vaguely you know, off to the side, obviously not beelining, but towards where the blast was coming from. All right. Well, now it's the duel of the invisible warlocks. I need you to roll perception. I suck at this. Oh, I really do suck at this. That's a natural one. Well, you're looking off to your left because you're sure that's where the blast came from when another one is incoming from the right. Fiberglass? 15. Miss. So this blast, you uh, you don't even hear it coming, but it, it whiffs like right behind you, just misses you. Um, middle of your body, right? Center of mass, but you're standing side on and that's that's probably the only reason it missed you. But yeah, it, it zips along behind you so close that you can feel it in the small of your back as it passes. You're looking completely the other way. All right, well... How, where where am I in relation to the inn? Like I stepped out sort of like around the back or the side kind of thing? Around the, around the back towards the jakes, yeah. there's uh, There are pissing posts where you just like lean on the posts and pissed off into the snow. And then there's outhouses where you can sit. All right. Well, I'm going to run around the front and just charge in like the the front door just like slam in like making an entrance you're going to need at least three rounds to get there oh is it that much further than the back door well it's all the way around the front so like 18 seconds to run around the front of the building isn't unreasonable uh okay it's a bigger building than i thought okay well then i'll go back in the, the the rear door and if it's open, I guess, yeah, I won't make a scene at all and hopefully stay invisible. All right. So you beeline for the door. What's your stealth? I got way better stealth than perception. I got plus seven on stealth. So your passive stealth is 17. Yes. And 11 is smaller than 17 last time I checked. Your assailant does not notice the signs of your passing as you go. All right. So I'm back in the the pub and I'm still invisible. Yep. Okay. How's, what's the, what's the Duke doing? How's, is he just partying it up, enjoying it? And yeah. As you peek out into the front room, you can see he's laughing and he's got his hand on the back of like across the shoulders of this, uh, Eladrin serving girl who doesn't really look like she's into being around him at all. Okay, so he's he's not in any danger. Nobody's hassling him. I mean, he's, he's just having a little like uh, a little moment 
Yeah, he's having a good laugh. Like, oh, you're a good kid. And this, the serving girl's like, oh, my God. Must you. And he gives her a pat in the back. Boom. And sends her on her way. You know, watches it gets gets up and does a bit of dancing around on the on the floor, and you know, he's just having a good time. All right. Well, I guess uh, with my back very much to a, a wall, I'm gonna, if I can cheese it out like this, uh, have a short rest and get my spell slot back while I'm still invisible. The thing is. As you like settle back and find it and look for a spot to just sit down and you know catch your breath for a minute, um, you bust in the front door just like Lord, I had planned. My lord, I was ambushed, my lord, help! And that's when Gallo Glass gets up and picks up his axe. And he's like, What's up, Kern? My lord, ambush most foul, they've stolen my face, you'll see them. We must turn the place inside out. And that's when everybody starts looking all through the inn. What are you doing? I think I'm going to try and get as close to this guy as I can. All right. So uh, there's a big kerfuffle and the Duke is out in the caravansary yard. And dude is standing in the middle of the tap room, pulling a coat that's very much like yours, close tight around him. And the house staff are fanning out to look through all the rooms. and You know, the... Guests are coming out of the rooms to get down in the tap, into the tap room. Uh, you see this guy. You get a you get a moment. You go wandering over to him, all invisible, close enough to touch him. Did I get my uh, my spell slots back? Did I have enough time with the rest, or no? You'd need fifteen minutes or so for that. So no. Okay. Yeah. No. So I'm still just down to the one. Okay. Well, I guess. Uh get into sort of like out of sight a little bit like coat room or side sort of alcove or whatever um while i'm still invisible because i've only got a well i've got a little while left but i don't hopefully need it and then once i'm sort of like in a little hidden little alcove just out of sight doesn't have to be like terribly hidden i will thorn whip this fucker in right in with myself so that we're both in there together all right well the false Warlock is barking orders at people, and they're all running around. And he walks over, and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of mayhem and chaos going on in the, in the room. and He's directing it as expertly as he normally does. And uh, while nobody's looking at him, he stops to take a breath. He takes one step, and then another step, and looks around. He folds his hands in the small of his back, as is his, ter- his typical pose, when all of a sudden, this great big mass of vines, thorns, comes ripping out, grabs him around the torso, and hauls him back into the coat room. Perfect. The camera shifts to uh, where he goes, landing in a pile of vegetation and uh, coats, really, because he's cleared all the coats off of one side. There's a big crash, and he gets up. He's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. I always wonder what I felt like. You're right, Natty. Job's worth, I presume. Correctly. I'll do, sir. Well enough. That was a series of dirty tricks. I learned from the best, sir. Well, so what now? What now is that I would suggest you pack your things up for a long run and get to the precincts of autumn before we do. We? 
You using the royal we there, Jobsworth? Oh, absolutely not, sir. I mean Duke Galloglass and the Warlock of Cairn. They're looking for you and will probably kill you and your sister should they come across them. Hadn't you heard? Why, it's a famous legend already. Haven't really had a lot of news lately on the road. <sighs> Look at Nari. Dig deep, mate. Think Ziva's your sister. Now, one more save with advantage, please, Nari. Aha, 18 plus, uh, what kind of save was it? Wis wisdom? Wisdom, yes. Well, it's over 20. Yeah, it's 22. And that's when the veil breaks, and you remember that you're Nari Hulu, street kid from fucking Bailey Mina. Your mom is Heather Hulu, your sister is Ziva Hulu, and you've been here way too fucking long. Like years and years. You were supposed to go meet the ragged lady. You're not remotely aspected towards the spring. What were you thinking? Oh, God. How long have I been here? For you, sir, years. For the rest of us, a little under three months. Now, I don't have a lot of time left as your friend, as I now have to become your enemy. You understand the balance, I hope. And broad strokes, I suppose, yeah. So, okay, so what? You want me to just grab my stuff and just run out the door, eh? There was a job's worth owing that is no longer. Now there is only the warlock of Kern, and he's not you, mate. Well, he could be, but that wouldn't turn out well for your sister. So, I figured, knowing you as well as I do, you might like the chance to uh, have what's yours instead of what you're told is what's yours. I, I think I understand. None of this is actually you, mate. You're being tricked. Now, Nari, you must remember. Unfortunately, after this, well, there won't be a job's worth owing, will there? Well, well, I suppose this is a goodbye for now, then. Maybe forever. I will trust that you will take care of yourself. As... Hell, I'm surprised you exist in the first place, so... I am the warlock of Khan, after all. You sure are. I'll just get out of your hair then, sir. And uh, see to it that you run, you villain. Oh, and Nari. Yeah. It's been an honor being your servant, mate. You are one remarkable sort of person. Goodbye. Goodbye, Jobsworth. And I will back out of the room, uh, changing into a nice nondescript sort of, uh, hell, I'll turn into Jobsworth. And back out of the door and grab my bag. There's the actual physical shift of your features now as the warlock falls out of your retinue and uh, firms himself up on Jobsworth's fe uh, Jobsworth features as Jobsworth's features return to your retinue. That's when the warlock sits up and goes, What villainy is this? Help! Aid me! And everybody hears his voice and the feet start running. 
You uh, nod to him as the last of your companion fades. Grab a satchel, which is hanging on a peg, and make for the forest. So it has been a couple of days now, Calder, and you are surprised to find that Eldwood is available in Bailey Mina. Not as surprised as maybe some people would be. Everything's available in Bailey Mina. But just how readily you could find it. The downside, of course, is the price. After your recent purchase, you're not especially liquid, and so there's a bit of haggling to be done. Can you roll me a charisma check, please? Yep, just once. 19 total, 19 total. All right, well, the Sawyer who sends his crews out into the swamps to harvest this stuff, it's a very delicate process. But once get, once put in the presence of a strong magic field and enchanted, it's really hard to kill. Essentially becomes this eternal thing which feeds its enchantment with its own life force that feeds its... It's a circular thing. So it's wood that doesn't rot. It's wood that maintains its resiliency and, you know, stays in its shape forever, right? It's amazing stuff. You managed to get yourself a couple of good off-cut pieces of Eldwood and very, very carefully you have attempted to cut four new locking mechanisms out of wood from these Eldwoods. Now, the first piece you got you killed outright just within half an hour the uh the wood just turned gray and brittle while you while you suspect it wasn't in the finest health to begin with because like it was the smallest chunk and it wasn't you know evenly cut or anything like that didn't feel very moist when you got it it died pretty quickly after you started carving on it the next one I'll need you to perform a, hmm, let's do a sleight of hand check with advantage for your artificer's tools. All right. So I rolled six and then 18 and my sleight of hand is plus one just for deck. So 20 on the nose. So 20 on that. Okay. You start to carve it and realize that perhaps you might need some expertise. And so after ensuring that your workshop is sealed off, you take the knife and check with your grandfather about how to carve Eldwood. It turns out he has a wealth of experience with treated Eldwood and some knowledge of how to properly cure it in thomic fields. Now, it turns out that if you can get some of the sap from this living Eldwood, such as from that Sawyer. Again, this is a little more expensive than you'd like it to be, but you get some, boil it into a syrup, which forms a nice thomic conducting medium, which you supply the charge for through your trusty thomo encabulator. So this is this is really fascinating. Uh, and uh, I, I can see, I'm starting to understand why the Eldwood uh, is such a uh, rare and... Um, 
valuable reagent because uh, this curing process is non-trivial. So it's just to chop down some old wood. Yeah, any any uh, any idiot could do that, but all you're going to have is uh, some very expensive tinder. So this looks really interesting. Also, the idea of um, creating a what's the right word I'm looking for? Not a potion, not a salve. It's more of a tincture. Yeah, I agree. I think it's tincture. I think this might be important in all of my artifice work. Uh, it, like I, I'm starting to see that maybe this is the opportunity for the secret sauce. And so uh, mental note, I need to see if I can get one or more Eldwood trees to be growing in the greenhouse upstairs, because I think I need to have a supply of this stuff. Um, because I, the kinds of things that I've been talking with my grandfather and how to make uh, this, uh, well, just a, a, a new kind of artifice, I think this this feels like um, a really, really innovative way of, um, of doing more than just curing Eldwood because of the kind of um, thomic field and curing that it provides. And I, I, I wonder if we could apply this to, I don't know, like basically any other uh, magical device. Well, the experts in Eldwood in Bailey Mina, as far as you know, is, uh, well, the Lefay sawmill that you bought it from. They seem to go out and harvest it somewhere. You haven't, you haven't seen any growing in Bailey Mina. Admittedly, though, you haven't been anywhere, everywhere in Bailey Mina. However, the horticultural aspect of it, if you don't, unless you miss your guess greatly, you might consult Arabet or Ziva or both about that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the the task right now is to try to figure out if I can do this uh, uh, etheric bridging uh, uh, successfully with a with a lock that that I make. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, note to self for future conversation. Uh, I wonder what uh, I wonder what the what it would take to uh, source Eldwood uh, saplings or seeds, and I wonder how much Ziva could help uh, with um, with getting them to take and grow, and uh, hopefully be an ongoing. Uh, supply of sap. Well, that's definitely something to add to the list. All right, back to the task at hand. So, once you get the mechanism together and, you know, sort once the mechanism is together and the wood has cured, the sap is a, uh, like, it's dried out to a flaky film at the bottom of the dish. Um... You run the thomoncabulator over it to see how the enchantment is taken. And the enchantment, unfortunately, is uh, sitting at a 0.6. You need at least a 1.8. Hmm. Does this feel as simple as uh, turning up the thomoncabulator? Thing is, the thomoncabulator was running flat out. Mm. Like you had it, you had it cranked right up. Um, you're still learning this thing, right? I mean, you've just got it to, well, you just tuned it a couple of days ago. All right. All right. Um, so does this feel like, so this sounds or feels so far like a, we need more power kind of situation. Uh, so I'm trying to think about what to do about that. I'm wondering, um, I know that I have these, uh, uh, 
of apocoptic mantra veins in the Thelma Cavulator. I wonder if I could potentially look at the lunar wing shaft and augment it with some mithril. And I know I've got some mithril here in the shop. Good idea. So as you're getting that mithril soldered on there, the lazy cameraman isn't focusing on you and your draconic glory as you use your native gifts to enhance your learned abilities and do the subtle job of soldering. Oh no, all it sees is your shoulders shaking with laughter in the flickering blue light of the electricity that casts your shadow on the wall. But, you know, whatever. Once you get it soldered off and uh, everything is cooling, you lift the shaded monocles off your eyes. And uh, hold the piece up. Looks like it's pretty good to go. All right. Well, <laughs> I hesitate because, uh, you know, I uh, I don't want to blow up the old wood. It's taken an awful lot of time to uh, get that ready. Uh, I also want to damage the thought point cat later. <laughs> uh, so I uh, give a meaningful look at uh, my grandfather, who, uh, who just gives me a, like, come on, kid, just get to it. Shit or get off the pot. <laughs> So I, yeah. so I spin up Thalmon Cabular and honest, honest to the runes, I cl close my eyes. <laughs> and set it down next to the syrup. The syrup glows brightly and uh, starts to boil off. Now you have to let it boil off all the way. But you've got this Eldwood sap tincture pretty much coating everything. And the uh, thermoelectric current of the thermoencabulator boiling the sap away. Now, can you please roll Arcana for me? 17 on the die. Arcana's plus 6. So, 23. So, if it's just the thermoelectric exchange through the medium of the Eldwood sap that charges the thomic resonances within the living Eldwood, you've got it putting a pretty good current through from the thermoencabulator. I mean, certainly enough to make anybody dance. But the way your teeth are sparking when they click together lately, because you've been too busy to get out to the country and fry a couple things. So your venom glands are getting a little full, but that's thermoelectricity. All right, well, I keep a close eye on the uh, cardinal thermometers to make sure that this thing isn't going to blow. But uh, uh, if, uh, if, uh, if the Eldwood take it yet, then I'm, I'm just going to slowly keep amping up the power. See if I can get that 1.6. In the background, your grandfather, the scales on your grandfather's brow ridge raise approvingly, and he nods as you start with just a light exhale and this little, like, you know, the little sparks dancing across the surface of the sap and off the wood and, you know, those getting absorbed into the sap, which glows more brightly blue until finally your fists are clenched, your shoulders are set back, your long neck is stretched all the way out, and you are breathing with your full throat on the sap, which finally evaporates, and with a few extra sparks, you take a big deep breath in, and look at your handiwork. Looks like it's ready to go. The thermometer says 1.79. That's about where you want it. Well, look at that, Grandfather. I think it works. Yes, it certainly seems to. Shall we install it? Oh, yes, I think we shall. Now, the other day you had the Nigels replace the glass in the frame. So as you walk up, you see the mirror, which is, ki which is 
you know, it's a mirror. Your reflection is in there. Even if things are kind of distorted as though through a haze of heat at a distance. You know what I mean? No, I, I get it. It's like a it's like an ectorhythmic quintessence kind of resonance that's bleeding through. Like you can see the power here, and it's not just reflecting light. That's right. Well put. So yes, you've got this lock charged up. You take it, and I'm going to need another artifice roll. So let's do sleight of hand because you got some pretty dexterous hands. You get a plus one to that, right? I sure do. So. On the die for a sticking total. Okay, so you set your lock mechanism into where it's supposed to fit. Tighten in a few like dowling pegs to seal off circuits. And with that, you step back and watch as the artifice kind of thrums with a low pulse of electric light. Oh, I'm feeling uh, uh, very smug right now. You reach out with a... Well, what the hell, with the tip of your tail, because it's... Like, I mean... Let's face it, it's your longest extremity, right? So you reach out with the tip of your tail and flick the latch open. And there is another hum. And then your lock mechanism begins to smoke. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. <laughs> there are a few sparks, and uh, I need you to make a dexterity save as you're heading towards the mirror. Wah-wah, six. All right, well, the... As the lock mechanism shoots out of the frame, it catches you square in the chest and lands you flat on your back. Your jacket took most of the impact, but you can take three damage and uh, you have the lock, which is burnt and smoking. And as you turn it over, you see that there's a slowly smoldering knot hole in the back of your artifice that you had noticed before, but didn't think would be a problem. Damn it. Ugh. All right. Do I have any more Eldwood currently? You have one more piece. All right. I'm going to try again. Uh, wait, wait. Are there any knots in it? Find out as you carve it. There's probably a reason it was off-cut, though. Well, this, uh, this Eldwood's not going to carve itself. So, back to work. As you sit down and set the wood in a bath of sap to keep it alive as you take out your hollow ground, very well-sharpened mithril carving set, there's a blink from your spell phone mirror over on the desk. Ugh, of course. I go over it and somewhat annoyedly uh, or peevishly uh, open it up and see what's going on. Well, there is Ziva from the shoulders up, really excited, saying, I found the keyhole. I am I am both excited and disappointed by this news. Well, it means you have some Eldwood in case you need a copy, right? So Yep. Yep, makes sense. Uh all right. Uh does she, what else does she say? Uh there's a lot of abbreviated acronyms like she's fond of so you kind of have to guess at them but uh she's really excited and she wants everybody to come over there at once all right well grandfather it seems that uh this particular task has been solved by ziva she somehow has uh procured the lock um cannot wait to find out how 
Um, so um, uh, I guess uh, I need to clean up and, uh, and head over to, uh, to a mortuary. Excellent. Well, I'll go with then. And uh, the image of the dragon fades as the brass and mithril kukri all cut through with filigree, glows softly silver black. Eventually, the grand old worm has returned to his phylactery. All right, I'll uh, summon uh, a Nigel and start cleaning up and get my face back on and get ready to grab the buster over to Zebus. Let's check in with Ziva and Arabic. What are you two whack kids up to? I think we've cleaned up Primus. He's all ready to go. Ziva would get dressed. And, uh, you know, I guess Arabet has to... Uh, does he need any other tools? Uh, I think we'll be okay. What I think we need is uh, to be sure we've got this this piece in place properly before we start playing with it. Okay. But it's all at Calder's. All the pieces right now. So like... Well, coincidentally enough, you happen to be going right by there, Arabeth. You live upstairs at the warehouse at Calder's new business. Do you want to, like, hang out there until Calder gets back? All right, let's do that. Are you sure you're not needed here? No, I don't have any, like, funerals in the next couple of days. I just finished everything, so I'm okay. And, like, Primus will, like, watch the house. Yeah, and if not Primus, then see ya. Oh, no, she comes with me everywhere. Really? I hadn't noticed her before. That's when the stole that Ziva is wearing, because as she mentioned, she's changed, right? So one of the things that she's wearing is this beautiful black fur stole around her neck, you know, because it's getting chilly. And, uh, you know, it's it's like a, well, we know what it is. It's a, a fur scarf that ladies of fashion used to keep warm. And uh, Ziva looks amazing in this one. And uh, you're like, I hadn't noticed. So when you say I hadn't noticed, two red eyes open up on the leading end of Ziva's first oil. Well, no one would want to mug you. Oh, no. It's so funny when they try. Yes, funny. That's how I'd put it. Yes, funny. Well, funny for me. Indeed. Well, let us proceed then. Uh, shall we take your gig? Yeah. So she stops and gives um, Primus some instructions and locks up the place and uh, sets them off. And out the side door, because it's easier than opening the big garage door, to the... Well, to, to the side garden, which has a short drive uh, up the side of the garage. And in the drive is Pate, who has uh, enough room to, like, like you, can, you can drive in 
unhitch pate, turn the gig around, and then drive out. You know, you don't have to back it out. So that's been done, and pate is sitting there locked, like sitting down in the park position with the gig attached. As you walk out, you uh, do the little finger gesture and tap the gem on the wand in your hair, which, by the way, Ziva, fucking inspired today. You look great. Have I mentioned that? She is super feeling it. Yeah, like really, like looking great, like a million bucks. And uh, so you tap the the gem on the end of your wand, and there's a chirp, and Pate stands up. As well, you can hear a click as the doors of the gig unlock. Hop in. I love this ride, by the way. Have I mentioned that? Really? Yeah, like it goes from zero to 60 suddenly, but other than that, I mean, it's great. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody thinks I'm weird and scary, so. Eh, own it. I kind of freak you out, didn't I? It's not you that freaks me out. Oh, I mean, yeah, like all the ghosts and stuff. Hey, you know, it's better than magic. Why are you so weirded out by magic? It's pretty simple. I don't understand a lick of it. Oh, yeah. I get that. You know, but there's like... I mean, I can't imagine not understanding magic because that's like... I don't know, just a major part of me, but I understand like not not getting something because there's a lot of things I don't get. Ah, man, sister, me too. And magic's just one of them. Yeah, true. It's good that you get it, and you know the ghosts and everything else. I, I like I get ghosts. Ghosts, I can understand. Um, what's draped around your neck is a completely different thing, but it looks good on you. So, hey, I'm I'm good with it. <laughs> okay, well, see, is kind of a special case. Everything around me, honestly, is a special case. But yeah, I'm just. I don't know. Like, I don't know why you're just I'm... special. Own it. I think you're <laughs> special too. You know, nobody ever says that to me in a nice way. Everybody's out to get their own advantage. That's the way the world works, especially in Bailey Mina. Oh, yeah. Especially in Bailey Mina. How coincidental. Because now there's a traffic stop ahead of you. The people ahead, the uh, watchmen have a look at the... uh, yeah, you know, just have a look at them. They they're driving like a, a clapboard, rough lumber cart with mostly round wheels, pulled by a donkey, and it's loaded with turnips, right? So the cops have a look at them, look them up and down, tell you know, there's a say a few things to them, and then they rattle on. You pull up. There's a Jotun there, a half elf, and a dwarf, as well as their human leader. The Bailey Melian traffic stop. Good evening, sir. Miss? 
Good evening. Oh. Lovely evening, isn't it? Indeed. This is just a routine matter, you see. Um, now, we are the devoted servants of the public in Bailey Mina, dedicated to keeping the peace, and as a result, we, uh, we like to do a thorough job of it, if you take my meaning, sir. Understood. And so I was wondering um, how thorough you would like me to be when conducting my job this evening, sir. Well, I'd thank you for your services, and I extend my hand. He reaches out to take it. Oh. And with a nice stealthy move, I slip the coins into his hand. They don't even clink. Kind of closes it, kind of takes his hand down by his side, judges the weight. He goes, have a very good evening, sir. And uh, with that, Pate just goes straight on through. Like that I was said, amazing. Bailey Mina. You're amazing. I would have been so awkward and we would have been there for 20 minutes. Yeah, well, I have a few skills. Since you're not in any sort of rush to get, like, because, like, I mean, Calder's got to find you, right? You've at least got to have Calder. And uh, Tim, he sent Tim off finding parts for this machine that he's off finding parts for, you know? Until they get back at the very least, uh, or Magma or Stitch, it's just the two of you. And, uh, if you gotta be, if it's all gonna happen at Calder's, that's where you should go. Why not? You live there anyway, upstairs. But uh, you've got a little while, so after the traffic stop, you're kind of like, well, hey, take a left here, and it's not the most direct way back to Bean Hill, but uh, it is down by the riverside, and there's a really good gelato place. And Ziva, you've never had gelato before. You've never had gelato? No. Okay. One of my many skills is I sample a lot of foods around the city. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. And if it's street food, I know where to find it. Awesome. So allow me to treat you to your first gelato. That would be amazing. But the thing is, you've got to have lunch first. So, so begins the whirlwind tour of Bailey Mina Street Foods. Inside of two hours, Ziva, Arabet has come up with the best meal you've eaten. Oh, since, well, even better than, okay. More satisfying than the one at Thrasher's, if not as haute cuisine. You know what I mean? Uh, better food. More comfort, really good company, right? And uh, here you are, Pate is parked in the street with the gig. He's sitting down, and uh, you and Bet are up on a rooftop patio overlooking the Firth, um, about three blocks. You can see his greenhouse from where you are. This so, is so cool. When I do my business, I cross a, a lot of these roofs. 
We call it the Thieves Highway. I, I totally never thought of doing that. Well, if you should ever find yourself in a pickle where you can't use pate and you need to get some from, say, here to, oh, my greenhouse is a good spot. It's the reason it's on a roof. Uh, the rooftops, they have uh, adequate access. It's like this whole other level city up here. Oh, there are a lot of different levels in this city, let me tell you. The towers, which stretch away into the sky and beyond the mist, like right now, the sun has burned the mist off, it's mid-afternoon. It's about a three-block jaunt from where you're sitting enjoying your gelato at a rooftop patio full of greenery still, like uh, the frost-resistant kind that stays green all year. This place has always been here, Arabet, as long as you've been running the roofs. It's always clean. Sometimes there are people here. If there are, you move on. If there aren't, feel free to stop. You've had coffees here. You've taken dates here. You've just come to sit here. One time, you came and sewed yourself closed here. It's uh, on the highway, but out of the way. You know? Like a little spot to just tuck in for a little bit. It's a good spot for gelato, and it's got a good view. So, do you want to try crossing some roofs? <laughs> You're so going to laugh at me, but yes. Oh, we'll go slow. Timothy went slow when he started out. Yeah, well, he would probably laugh at me. I mean, I'm pretty wimpy. We'll walk it instead of run it. I could probably use the exercise. Let's go. All right. So Sia rolls off of, v of Ziva's shoulders and uh, lands in a puddle on the floor, a puddle of fur and feathers that loses its fur and becomes all feathers and eventually boils into the shape of a crow, which hops and squawks and cricks its neck and fixes you with its glowing purple eye before flapping off to land on a chimney pot on the next roof over. I think she's raising us. Okay, let's see how that goes. Okay, show me how it's done. First, we watch your footing and always keep your eyes open for where you're going next. So he opens a gate out of this little patio and, uh, like the gate just kind of opens up out onto the air, except uh, when he looks down, you can see there's a ledge about maybe 40 centimeters down. It's probably 80 centimeters broad, and uh, he steps down onto that and walks along to where it angles down to join the slope of a roof going up next door. Um at first, Ziva, you're very much back to the wall and, you know, skidding your bum off the stucco and plaster and, and wood of the walls with your great big massive hair really kind of tottering your balance for a second until you adjust to it. And then you start walking along with some sort of confidence. Can I get you to make 
An athletics check with advantage, please. Athletics? Oh no. Dexterity. Oh, first roll's an 18. The second roll was a 7, so... 18 plus 2, so total of 20. So I guess she really wants to impress Arabed. So, Ziva, once you get comfortable with the height, and you realize that Arabed is like... You you think by the look of it that it wouldn't support your weight. You were nervous. You were like kind of being that, you know, that edgy sort of, oh, I don't want to do this kind of thing, right? But only doing it because, you know, like now you're committed. You said you were going to, and he's really fucking cool, and he doesn't, it doesn't seem to bother him, you know, and you kind of, you've been having a good afternoon, and you, you don't want him to think you're afraid. But all of these things go together to you just fucking nailing it. And like pretty soon you're walking along with your typical swagger and sway, uh, wherever he leads you. You go up, you go down this slope and up to the peak of another roof. There's a board across an alley and you both kind of skip along that. It's a, one of those clay tile roofs then. And uh, easy enough to walk to the other edge of and then slide down because it peaks outwards. Um, you feel like you're going to go over face forward, especially with that hair. But uh, Arab, it's there to, you know, put his hand out and catch you by the waist um, before any of that becomes a problem. But Jesus, Siva, it's really exhilarating. And uh, right now, C is kind of doing circles in the air above. You are kind of stand. You are sorry, not kind of. You are both standing on the edge of one of those courtyards, those interblock courtyards, like I've mentioned, um, where a common yard is shared by all of the buildings facing out along a block, right? And this one is well attended, well attended, and there's vegetable and flower gardens in there, and some children playing kickball on a lawn, and. This looks to be fairly residential, and they don't even look up as you go walking past, you know. Um, The whole city just goes by. Now, you are walking along above some people, but it's when Bet goes to cross the broad street, you have to go on one of the arches. And the reason there are arches is because of the towers, right? The arches basically balance the towers off of one another. And this one is groundmost, but it's still about 150 f- meters in the air. So by this time, you're in the high steel and wandering around like in the framework of the L, you know, the elevated train part of the buster. And uh, crossing this big, broad street, which you can march a legion abreast down. That's why it was designed that way. But now it's just lost in the gloom and shadow of these towers overhead. Uh, and the city just goes upwards forever. You feel now, even though you are far from on the solid ground, that you are not even at the middle of the city yet. This is really cool. Yeah, I always thought so. And finally, the final approach is uh, like an emergency escape for the maintenance workers on the buster armature and framework 
it's uh you're supposed to push it out like you push it out and it extends down to the street before automatically retracting unless there's weight on it but if you start if you put your foot on the bottom step like this and then like arabet turns around and takes ziva by the hand and has her step out into really what is nothing but then she's standing on the stairs as the bottom stair goes winding down there's enough time just to be just to time it right where it just misses the fire escape on the side of arabet's building and you step off and onto the fire escape both of you at the same time with like a little hop right without the weight on it the staircase then swings back off into the sky to the buster frame right um and out across the sunlit gravel of the roof of the porterhouse customs warehouse and shipyard in the middle of this great big building on top of this ground like in the middle of this great big gravel roof where there are paving stones laid out in various patterns interesting you didn't notice that from above maybe if you take the buster by you'll have to check and see if you notice but uh out in the middle there's a big greenhouse and mechanical building looking assembly of uh structures and it's there that arabet takes you uh the door is locked but with a combination of turns on the doorknob that this first disarms a trap and then unlocks the door as you open the door, you step out from the chilly late autumn and into eternal summer. It smells like the plants and incenses and, and the faded smoke of Stitch's various concoctions in here. It also smells like home and, uh, well, not being indelicate about it, boys. Ziva. Oh, this place is pretty cool though are you really like plants as uh as a kid actually really yeah they come in handy you'd be surprised stitch can make some pretty (laughs) intense potions (laughs) yeah i bet coffee please i haven't had coffee in like hours Feel free to take a look around. She uh, she kind of smiles and just looks around, and it, she's more really more interested in the plants than anything. Looking at the, um, you know, if there's any interesting plants that she recognizes or something unusual. So. In the pots, there are uh, a whole bunch of different violets at one end, uh, all the way around to the area that used to be St- Stitch's main hangout, right? Where he's got his more interesting plants. Oh, these are neat. Ooh, I didn't know you had one of these. Oh, yes. Yeah. We grow everything here. Are those bananas? That's so cool. That's awesome. That is definitely cannabis. <laughs> you guys, I like it. Well, did you catch the uh, combination at the front door? 
Oh? You're welcome anytime. Thank you. Now just roll a quick intelligence check, Ziva. I rolled a 17. Is that less than your intelligence? Plus, sorry? Is that less than? Yes, my intelligence is 20. Okay, then. You remember it. I remember what? You just have to you just have to crit fail uh to not remember something with a twenty intelligence is all <laughs> it's not you know it, it it's it's awesome none of us can do it for in real life, but Ziva can so like it can't be fail proof but you know it it's gotta come out somehow that Ziva is way smarter <laughs> than all of us you know what I mean like Ziva's got a two hundred IQ. Yeah, none but. of us have a two hundred IQ. Two of us together couldn't outthink somebody with a two hundred IQ. <laughs> um, thank you. Like uh, that really means a lot to me. Well, you you mean a lot to me, and uh, we're gonna get your brother back. And uh, we're going to proceed from there. And, you know, whatever happens, I think of you as my friend. Can I, like, hug you? Oh, yeah, I'm huggable. Okay, good. I just kind of learned about hugging, and it's nice. And she kind of awkwardly hugs him. Well, Arabette hugs her right back. So sometime I'm going to take you for bagels because you need a bagel sometime. I super do. Like growing up, you know, mom, like we had no money and mom didn't like, you know, she didn't, she was like afraid of taking us out places. She didn't really want me like, I don't know, because I kept doing magic and stuff accidentally and whatever. So she didn't like to take me out. For some reason, I don't think you and the word magic and accidental go in the same phrase. Oh, you should have seen me when I was a kid. It was totally different. And with that, little wee Ziva settles her, like, just settles herself into this great big papasan chair uh, that looks big enough to hold an adult tiger. And there's a reason for that. But yeah, you settle down and. That's just a good image to hold on for a second. Little wee Ziva with her big, impossible purple-black hair and her big anime purple eyes and her little black dress and you know this big papasan chair surrounded by all this greenery and the blue sky through the glass ceiling of the greenhouse. One of the best things about having a table full of storytellers is that occasionally I can pass the mic. Sit back and listen now as Chris, who plays Arabet, runs a short scene for his son James, who plays Timothy. Take it away, Chris. So we start the scene with Timothy on the buster. He has been away for uh, the day getting flour for his father's bakery. He returns on the train with the smell of flour and sage and a whole bunch of halflings staring him down on the train. It's 
just another one of those trips. I'm just trying to kick it back, relax. I'm just happy I don't have to work too hard. Just a bit of lifting, that's all. So, the halflings are staring at you because you're the only human on the uh, train at this hour. And you're bussing along very quickly with the train tracks when you get a -a ring-a-ding in your pocket. Well, I check it out. And that spell phone that Ziva gave you, or was it Calder? I can't remember. But whoever gave it to you, there's a text message on it. It's from Ziva, and it says, Meet at my place, quickly. Hmm, that's some bad timing. Well, you're almost back on Copperpenny Row. I look at my bags of flour, and then I think about how urgent this could be, because, you know, I like to think that I'm always connected, but they don't really call for me if they don't need me, right? So this has got to be urgent. Well, you're about 15 minutes from home. I could probably cut that down to 10 minutes to get home and then another maybe 5 to 10 to get there. Are you going to exit the buster? How far is the next stop? Well, about 5 minutes. Um, well, in a normal situation, I probably could... But it'll add another about five to ten minutes to my route if I just toss a whole bunch of bags of flour all through town. And maybe an extra five if someone decides that they want to help themselves to some lovely sage. So I'm going to have to wait till the station. Okay, you disembark at the station. I... Well, I'm hauling a whole bunch of crap, but... I'm doing my best with what I got to get there on time. Okay, make a perception check, please. I got 13. Oh, wait, no. I got, um... Oh, yeah. I think I got 13. All right. So you wander back towards your house, and you're almost there. You're almost back at the bakery with all this huge load. And then you're about, you know, uh, like I said, about five minutes away from being right inside the, the, the house with the flour in tow. When you get distracted, you notice a halfling walking around the corner towards you. What does he look like? <laughs> Why is he doing that? And he pulls up a bolter. And aims it squarely at your chest. Oh. I drop the bags and I um, try to run to the closest alley near me. If there's any like side escapes or anything like that. Maybe even a door. There is an alley. But uh, as you turn, there's two more halflings. And they too also have bolters. Roll initiative, please. All right. I got 14. You, sir, get to move first before everyone. All right. I have a uh, ring of jumping with me. So I'm going to use the spell jump and see if there's any windows or even a low enough rooftop for me to jump up to. 
Oh, there you could get to the roof quickly. I'm going up on the roof. I need to get away from those bolts. Well, they fire, and two of them scatter off widely as you jump high into the air. But the one you don't see, the one that you can't see, strikes you square in the back, right where you have felt so much pain before. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. You take four points of damage. Okay. But you are on the roof and running away quickly. All right. Now that, um, now wait, am I away from their direct line of sight? Yes, you are on the roof. I'm going to try and uh, find a place I can just hide. There is a set of chimney wells. Oh, awesome. I'll do exactly just that then. Good, then make your stealth check, please. I got 12. You can uh, see them climbing onto the roof, and they're scanning the roof, the three halflings from the alley. They don't notice you. What are their movements like? Halfling-like. They're pretty small, except one of them is a little larger than the others, and he seems to be in the lead or in command. Are they all very, sticking very close to each other? No, they fanned out across the rooftop looking for you. All right. Which one's closest to me? The leader. And you can hear him say, All right, Timothy. Arabet told us you'd be up here. We knew I had to find you. So, come on out and let us finish the job. Funny. You know, everyone likes to say that they're Arabet's friend when it least benefits me. Are there any, um, are any of the three, uh, near, like, the edge of the rooftop? As a matter of fact, one of them is leaning right over the edge, of, uh, uh, across from you. Uh, looking for you as if you might be hanging or dangling underneath the roof. Amazing. I'm going to hurl an ice knife at that one. You, sir, have surprise. You can roll with advantage. I rolled a 19. And I think I had dex to it, so that would be 27. All right, then. So he goes keeling off the roof as he gets hit with an ice knife. And you, you hear a rather loud splat on the pavement underneath. The other two scatter and level the blasters in the jar direction the ice knife came whirling out of. Um... Can I try and use my bonus action to keep hiding? Yes, you can. Oh, this one much better. 24. You adjust back in behind the uh, chimneys away from them. And they do not notice you in your movements. In addition, you're starting to feel rather sick. 
Uh-oh. Poison. Shit. Well, I was really feeling myself for a second there. And in a battle world, I would have been able to play a little bit more. But I'm not taking any more chances. I'm going to run away. <laughs> Please make a constitution check. That's a con save. Yep. I got 10. You start retching from behind your hiding place as you start running, and vomit spills all down in front of you. Roll your dexterity, please. I got four plus eight. You go careening off the rooftop and down through the roof where it's weak in the center here, and you land smack dab in your old clubhouse. Oh. This isn't too far from my last time. Um, well, I don't think anyone really would stick around here that I knew anyway, hopefully. Actually, as you th say that, Ink bursts Patty, Mumbles, Raph, and Scar. Ah, uh, no fucking way. Yo, Fetch, what you do to our ceiling? Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. You know, normally I wouldn't do this, but uh, I got friends up there. You know, you know the type, right? Hey, man, you've been drinking again. Oh, buddy. I'm as sober as can be, and I'm hating it more and more by the minute. You guys wouldn't know what to do about some poison, would you? You've been poisoned? Oh, check this bad boy out. Show them in my back. Oi, who's coming after you? Oh, just a couple halflings. They just, you know, anyone can wield a bolt, right? And then just at that moment, two halfling heads stick over the edge of the roof. Oi, Timothée. Just give yourself up, lad. Yeah, okay. I, um, uh, look at Scar, and I'm like, hey, you mind throwing that bottle in your hand to me? I've learned a new trick, you know. And instead, he casts some fire up towards the ceiling. Oh. Nice. Mumbles looks at you and says, you should run. We'll take care of these two. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll be back later. By myself, hopefully this time. Right, right. Just remember this. I will. I will. And I start booking it. You know, I don't really, really remember them being that nice before. But I'll take whatever help I can get. And at that moment, the vomiting urge comes on you again. Please make a con save. Ugh. Oh, this one better. 15. You resist the urge to puke your guts out uh, in the doorway as you lurch through the uh, exit and onto the back alley of Copper Penny Row. And there in the alley are two halflings. Two new halflings? Make a perception check. 
20 overall. Yes. Two new halflings. Oh, well. Do they have bolts on them? No, but they seem to be multiplying in front of your eyes. Is that because of my eyes or is that because of them? It's a very hard decision to make there. You can make a wisdom save at a disadvantage. I got 17. Yeah, you're definitely not seeing straight now. Oh, geez. And um, I'm you're about to... three blocks from home. From home, okay. How far am I from uh, Zivas? Half the city away. Shit. See, going home would be nice, except they'd be coming home with me. You're very close to the uh, warehouse, to the greenhouse. All right. Well, this isn't looking great, but I'm going to have to go there. So you start limping on the streets of Bailey Mina along Copper Penny Row with these halflings multiplying all over the place. You can hear the sound of a battle raging behind you somewhere. And you don't feel very sick to your stomach anymore. But you are slowly losing focus on reality. I just got to keep on pushing. Good. Make a con check at disadvantage. I got nine. The, uh, the Thieves Highway across the city, across the roofs, your usual route, the one that you're the expert with, is not accessible to you at your sorry state right now. There's no way you can get to the greenhouse the fast way. You're going to have to go the slow way, which means the sewers. Ugh. Or you can try to move across the city through the streets. Mm. Probably going to have to be the sewers anyway. Well, there is a sewer route that takes you right up into the basement of the warehouse. Is there anyone I know that um, could help me? That isn't a whole city away. <laughs> well, oh, if Stitch was around, he'd heal you up. If Ziva was around, she could raise you from the dead. Arabic could carry you. But none of these people are nearby right now. So you hoof it down to the sewers. More like stumble, very slowly. And gag and puke all the way across the city while across Copper Penny Row. Underneath it, just out of sight from everything, the bustle of the, the bums and everybody else out of, in the daily routines. And you arrive at the warehouse. Intimidate, there's something about the warehouse that you do remember. Hey, Chris. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I take over with Timothy from here? All yours, Adam. Thank you very much. Hey, Tim, you're in rough shape, man. A little bit. 
Yep. So in your rough state, you are across a broad street from the warehouse. Now, you've just put it together at this moment because you normally come at it from the other side that this porterhouse place, which Calder now owns, is the same place that is underneath Arabet's greenhouse. I mean, normally you take the Thieves Highway across to it, right? But that's on the other side. That's like on the water side. So here you are, uh, breaking out in a bit of a sweat and feeling kind of terrible. Across the street, it is, well, there are people around who can see you. So what are you going to do about your state of affairs, my friend? Oh, geez. Well, I need to get in, you know? First, you should probably see to that wound and uh, that weird feeling, right? Yeah. Now, if you roll a perception check, let me know what you get. I'll tell you what you see. I have a 17. Okay, so you're on the southeast corner of the warehouse, just kind of mooching in the corner in the mouth of an alley. Uh, There's a lot of stevedores and dock hands and porters of various descriptions loading wagons even at this later hour of the day um however you notice that there is a first aid kit just on the wall by the corner where like on the corner of the building underneath uh, the overhang of the roof uh it's not hard to get to and uh you know just appears to be out there for use more to the point, it has the cross hatching in white on the bottom left corner that lets you know that Arabet has stocked it for his needs. I don't know. I feel like the obvious option here is the first aid kit. I'm going so, for it. So it would seem. So you like kind of get out of the alleyway looking over your shoulder to... uh see if there's any pursuers that don't appear to be but uh can i get you to roll a constitution save i have a 10 (laughs) rough 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 man you swoon about halfway across the street whether it's loss of blood or whether whether it's something else something makes you good and dizzy and you stop for a second and just kind of reel and uh you know you're breaking out on a sweat down the back of your neck Tim, you ain't feeling too hot. Uh, Looking to your quick left, you uh, see that there's a cart drawn by two ostriches, which uh, has just managed to stop before it's run you over. You kind of reach your hand out, pat the bird on the chest, and uh, it pecks down at you with its beak, gives you a good wrap on the top of the head, sends you reeling off. Uh, Can you make a reflex save as well, please? I'm having a rough day, aren't I? (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, the one that got you, man. It's it something is weird, and you are not feeling good. I have a twenty-two. Okay, well, at least your reflexes haven't given up on you. When the bird knocks you on the head, it does send you reeling. But instead of stumbling out into traffic, you manage to uh, just duck your head and rub your scalp, and you're cursing as you rush as you stumble over to sit down where the sidewalk meets the road on the curb. Um, 
it's a cobblestone road and a wooden sidewalk here. It kind of rings the warehouse and you rub off the last of that solid wrap so you gain your senses. You feel a little better for sitting down. Man, you could probably use some sleep, right? Not okay. now, though. That's <laughs> not, it seems like a bad idea, actually. It's like really, it would be really, really nice, but there's just something inside you that tells you, uh, a quick nap right now might might last the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. So you push your way back up to your feet, head over to that first aid kit, and as you open it up, there's band there's a few there's bandages and splints, and you know, a stitching kit, and all the other usual sort of thing. And down there in the corner, in a little hollowed out nook behind some bandages is a little vial of Mr. Stitch's famous cure-all. Cure-all? I mean, not 100%, but definitely more than the 0% I'm dealing with right now. That's definitely yes. So you choke it back and it tastes like lemons and you know that like everything Stitch puts into a jar is at least partly opium, right? So you can expect to get a little bit high off this, but this kicks you in the head and there's like, you know, wow. Hey man, it's like three Red Bulls and uh complete painkillers. You feel like you've slept for three weeks and uh, had a really good, really good shiatsu massage. Woo. That's way better. You can even feel like this, hot sort of prickling at the wound, right? Give it a scratch. It seems to be sealing up. Good stuff. Perfect. It's time to head back. Yeah, so you adjust your state of dress, and yes, you are a sweaty, dusty, bloody mess. Oh, I'm sure people will notice. As you sneak in the shadowy side door, some ladies from the secretarial pool Come into the stairwell to go up onto the second floor balcony and have a smoke. As you melt into the shadows, the big rush of Mr. Stitch's potion wears off and you sink down onto a bench just to catch your breath for a minute. We rejoin Calder as he's finishing up the process, putting his face back on. Now, Calder, when you buckle your belt on, give the dial on the front a twist, then press the button. It, uh, you begin to feel everything start to compress and shift, and your neck shortens, and your head changes shape, and your limbs all shorten and bend the other way, and it's... You know, it's just a damn good thing this th this belt has an anesthetic component to its magic because this, it's unsettling even though you can't feel it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. But as you shift into your bipedal form with, a, with no tail, you readjust your balance for a second as your head once again finds its center over the middle of your body instead of out front and counterbalanced by your tail you know as a first the first couple steps are always a little bit weird as your head swims to get to the used to the new sense of balance but uh your garments usually knit themselves around you 
in that time anyway. So you walk over to the door and put your feet back into your boots. Uh, check yourself in the full-length mirror by the door. Things seem to be okay, although your glasses don't seem to be met. Oh, there they are. Okay, yeah, things look good. All right. Well, I uh, take a deep breath. Uh, take a look back, make sure everything's uh, properly uh, put away and clean. Um, and then I say, all right, Nigel, away we go. And uh, I stride, yes, out, master. I stride yes. out of that uh, particular room, uh, be very careful to lock it behind me and uh, head out through the, uh, through the warehouse uh, to uh, get to the street and uh, hop on the buster. The closest station is a uh, Hackthorn place, probably two blocks away. It shouldn't take more than five minutes and it's, it's a fine day anyway. But as you're walking down the broad hallway, having converted that particular room into your de facto laboratory, most of the stuff from downstairs at the curio shop has had to move over to this bigger space as you've worked on this project. There's no way you'd get this mirror down the stairs at the, at the shop. But uh, like there's, there's usually like a pins and needles prickle as you step from the high thomic field in this de facto laboratory out into the hall where the background magic is much lower. It's gone after a step or two. You notice somewhat distractedly that it persists all the way down the hall. So you, like there's a door out onto the street and then a door into a foyer, which has another exit going out the going out the wall that you want and like letting you walk indoors for another 10 or 15 yards or so right so uh, as you pass through that door from the hallway into this stairwell foyer there's a there's like a snap from behind you all right um i'll stop and take a look as you turn around, your tail just completely collapses out of your trousers, which shred, and your change of physique um, causes a big strain on your clothes. It's also inordinately unsettling. Like, just everything just goes bleh, and collapses back into you. In the space of about two seconds, which is a lot less gradual than the six it takes to shift normally. I uh, I frantically look down at my belt buckle, and I, like... I instinctively tap it. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you took it off your coat. It didn't take a hit. Odd. Um, yet there's a, there, there's some smoke coming out from behind the button. Whoa. Uh, my mind is racing. Uh, I look up, I look around. Is there anyone here? No, just, just you. Like it's, it's just you and Nigel right now. All right. So Nigel stops and looks at you and opens her mouth and begins to say something and then stops. All right. I, uh, your boots are fucked. <laughs> I, uh, close my eyes for a second, carefully listen. Is anyone coming? There's some noise from the sidewalk around the building outside, but, uh, nobody's operating any door latches. There are stairs going up to the roof um, and so like a, a pile of empty fruit shipping baskets, the 500 pounders 
you know, with the uh, the wicker ones that can be lifted by crane or one of the machines down at the dock. But uh, other than that, you are alone in the foyer. So you look down and uh, there's your belt. It's hot when you touch it. It's hot? Yes. Oh, shit. Um, well, I need to do something about that. I want to take it off. I, I think I need to hook it up to the thalmine cabinet or try to drain any capacitors in there to make sure that things don't uh, get too excited. Uh, but uh, I don't really know how or where I'm going to do that. So I'm looking around for an exit strategy. Well, you could go back to your laboratory, but, uh, you know, yeah, probably the best idea. So as you turn back to go into the laboratory, you step out into the hall and from the other end of the hall, the door opens and some giggling people from the secretarial pool come walking down the hallway. Because as you recall, Porterhouse was a fervent and vehement non-smoker. Wouldn't have it anywhere in his buildings, right? Didn't want the smoke getting on the wares because he thought it stank and he wanted to leave as little of him on the goods as possible. Everything goes through his warehouse exactly as it came in. So the, most of the employees have been uh, still adhering to this, right? Going outside for their smokes, which is fine, except this is the end of the building where the employees come to smoke. They're now coming your way. So you duck back into the foyer. There's the stairs or the door to the outside or the baskets. Well, shit. Uh, all right. Well, I hear the ladies coming and uh, I consider my options. Uh, I sure as hell don't want to climb into a basket and the street's not going to be no goddamn good. So, uh, you know, I can't remember the last time I tried it, but I'm going to I'm going to cast this guy's self and I'm just going to be a normal, unremarkable human stevedore. All right. You hold the image in your mind. Breathing in, you bring all of your magical expertise to bear, and there's the sound of spectral chuckling from the small of your back. Hush now, I'm trying to concentrate. You're a terrible magician. Shh. I'm concentrating. Well then, concentrate. All right, I concentrate. <laughs> And you breathe out, and the magic takes its effect. And you juxtapose the image of yourself as dragon with the image of the human. And you push the human over top of your own being and very quickly, magically swap the two images. And when you open your eyes, you feel the magic take effect. You look down at your hands and see that they are long and draconic with the extra knuckle and the finely tipped talons, but like, I mean, that fleshy color that humans are, that sort of mid-brown. So, so I, I clearly see that, that it's not working, but I'll spit and turn to Nigel and I'll say, how does it look? Nigel shrugs reaches into her pocket and uh, takes out her mirror. She pushes a button on it and the full-length mirror that you generally have Nigel's carry, so you can make sure your disguise is all right, pops into being. Um, what has happened to you is that somebody has put a human skin on a dragon frame. Oh, ruins damn. Somebody is you. 
Do I have time to try to cast this again? I'm listening for the secretaries. Uh, the They're getting louder and coming down the hall closer. Try it again. All right. I'm going to try it one more time. I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to hold the picture of that human. And I'm going to try my best to forget about the draconic form and cast. Roll deception. Uh, uh, nine total. And I have a plus four. So you nail it. It looks fantastic. Everything is great. Like the you, you watch as the form in front of you shifts to be like six feet tall and nondescript and that sort of mid-brown with the stringy hair and scruffy face and no talons and feet, bare feet, because like there goes you, you wreck the boots, right? Um and the tail, the tail, you forgot the tail. Beautiful, lustrous, hematite tail. Mm. All right. This is uh this has gone from a pretty great day to a really, really humiliating day. Unable to come up with any other solutions and completely out of time, you dash and dive into the basket, replacing the lid just in time. Now, as if that wasn't enough, like 10 seconds later, as the footsteps retreat up the stairwell, your spell phone shakes in your jacket pocket. So you slide it out with your thumb, open it up, and there's a note from Ziva saying, N-M-B-R-T, heart, Ziva. I'm still thinking to myself, shit, 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 as I uh, desperate to get it out and open it uh, as soon as, po as possible. Well, I, uh, all right, uh, I have no idea what she's saying. The latch of the door opens and somebody comes in, sits down on the bench, and waits. Across the ancient land, rising from the misty veil, comes the call of adventure. The only question is, will you answer? Coming on April 25th and 26th, 2020, the Ragnarok Gaming Experience. Ragnarok is a gaming convention held in southern Ontario, hosted at the legendary Kitchener Doubletree Hotel. Don't miss out on the best weekend in gaming you'll ever have. Board games, RPGs, trading card games, LARPs, tabletop miniatures vendors, and so much more. Including special appearance by the Runelanders, Come out and meet cast members of your favorite actual play 5th Ed D&D podcast and get to experience the city of Bailey Mina for yourself with their very first convention adventure ever. All of this for the low advanced price of $20 Canadian each day or $35 for a weekend pass. Children 12 and under free. Don't miss the Ragnarok gaming experience. Get your tickets now at ragnarokxp.ca. Game like the world is ending. We'll turn our attention now 
to a ragged, gangrel, tatterdemalion creature creeping through the woods of the winter. This figure we know as the Wild Boogeyman, the implacable enemy of Duke Galloglass and the Warlock of Kern. You spent a while on the run, and they are very clever. You have to give them credit. Well, yourself credit. I mean, they're going the wrong way. When you meet them in spring, it's because they're coming from the winter, but you're coming from the summer. And you remember what they did last year, so it's not hard to defeat them, but it seems so confounding to you at the time. Sooner or later, you're months away from where you need to be, and so after that adventure, instead of now heading backwards into the autumn, you stop and you wait. Just looking like a no good Nick. Looking like I'm definitely loitering. I, I'm not authorized to be here. You have this crazy fright wig of dreadlocked and spiky and poofy and tufts of all kinds of different hair from curls to streaks in all different colors. You are dressed in feathers and patches of leather and furs and textiles of various descriptions of all patchwork shapes and sizes, and they all move with you. It's called power clashing. Well, the funny thing is that whenever you change your face, it all changes with you. And that's the power of Glamour Weave. Now, we'll tell them all about how you earned that remarkable set of clothing another time. But for now, You've got your best wild man on as you're waiting next to a crossroads where you know the Duke's men will be coming. All right. Yeah, like like uh, I'm just waiting there. I'm just uh, I'm just leaning there on the rock, looking at my nails, cleaning them up a little bit, you know, just fiddling with, uh, fiddling with the little, you know, do things in my pocket, looking at uh, the papers in my uh, in my folio. Just, you know, killing time, just, you know, looking, looking bored and irritable for being made to wait. By and long, a couple of elves holding lances, riding war unicorns. On the lances stream the pennants of Kern. The war unicorns are comparison in Kernish livery, and the elves, although swaddled in fur, bear themselves along like Kernish riders. They see you waiting. One of the cavaliers looks over and goes, Hail, traveler. Hail. What brings you by these precincts of winter? I'm waiting for someone. Oh, and who would that be? Move along. There's important people coming through. <laughs> not so important. <laughs> right. Not important. The Duke of Galloglass, the Warlock of Kern, they're not important. The ogre and the weasel. No, they're not. Not at all. Our warlock is the height of elven manhood. Why, he's the most respected man in Kern, next to Duke Galloglass himself. Yes, of course. Oh, how delightfully quaint. A hero of yours. Why, he's everyone's hero. If anyone's anyone, they know of the warlock of Kern. 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 Oh, I've heard of that little village, I think. Little village, listen to him. Step aside, knave, says the other cavalier 
and that cavalier's mount has a look at you while shaking, you know, a little bit of frost out of its mane and looks over at you and goes, oh, hell no. You. You. Step aside, knave. I'll be ridden down. Plenty of room for you to go around. You're a wild boogeyman, clearly. Clearly. Step aside, boogeyman. One who speaks ill of Duke Galloglass should go his own way before the Duke should hunt you to the ends of the earth, you villain. Oh yes, this old chase. He's taking it back up again. And that, Nari, is when it hits you more than anything. The last seven years are sitting in your mind like a dream, and every adventure that you've had, dodging Galloglass and Kern, You've done it by just mimicking what the Wild Boogeyman has done. It occurs to you that this is your first and last meeting. They don't remember you because they've never seen you before. And you don't have any memories of the Boogeyman beyond this point. He was a rumor to you then. He fucked with a couple of your advanced scouts and stolen a few things from your caravan. But this, after the last however long it's been, First being Kern and then the Boogeyman, trying to make your way back to where you needed to be. Well, you're out of Boogeyman memories now. Seriously, you should just shoot him where he stands. He is bad news. Oh, quiet, Pinhead. Pinhead? And with that, the unicorn drops its horn and charges as the surprised cavalier tries to follow suit with his lance. We'll cut there to uh, you astride a unicorn with some fat saddlebags and, uh, you know, including a whole butchered unicorn and the goods of two dead elves who lie, out, who lie out in state waiting for the rest of the baggage train to find them. I told them to go around. And so as you ride off over the as you ride your unicorn going holy fuck I, that's fuck it get, it's in shock as you ride it up over a ridge line um away from the first place that the wild boogeyman ever engaged you and Galloglass. you can see the next wave of scouts come across your handiwork you pause for a moment at the ridge line for whatever reason comes over at you you give him a high, ululating cry before digging your heels in and taking off on the unicorn. <laughs> and that, my friends, was episode five, Strange Duets. Runelanders is recorded live and curated by me, Matt Adams. All of the usual people played all of the usual role. Helped me in all of the usual ways in producing this episode. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. If not, tell us. You can find out more about the cast, as well as ways to contact us and support the podcast at runelanders.com. That's right. Brand spanking new address. runelanders.com. Check it out. Leave us a comment. Drop us an email. Now... 
In the spirit of endorsement and before I let you go, you've probably noticed that as a gamer and game master, I prefer rule sets that don't get in the way of the story. Now, this is a legitimate from the field review. Our friends at NorCal Mythos, I gotta say, their game Carbine Jungle, well worth a look. They're in their second Kickstarter, launching their mission decks now. The system is quick, it's robust, it's easy enough that you can learn it in 15 minutes, and it's nuanced enough that you'll still be learning new stuff months later. It's a great game, it's adaptable to any sort of story that you want to tell, and the built-in world is just bananas. If you're looking for something a little different than D&D, check them out. That's all I've got for this episode. Until next, I'm Matt Adam. Take care.